This is the Environmental Integrity Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Pelton. Charlie Reeves grew up in public housing in South Philadelphia, near the oldest and largest oil refinery on the East Coast. I grew up in a project called Tasca Homes. So I remember the refinery from a young age. We got high school right here around the corner, and we got elementary school, which sits directly across the street from the refinery. So I remember it was a bridge there, and we used to play. We used to go on the bridge and go across on the refinery grounds, just play. It was having fun. We was young. We didn't know. What they didn't know was that during more than a century of operation, the Point Breeze Refinery, later called the Sunoco Refinery, and then Philadelphia Energy Solutions, spilled so much gasoline and other petroleum products onto the ground that a plume of cancer-causing benzene had contaminated the soil and groundwater, according to EPA records. From that tainted soil and from leaky storage tanks, benzene fumes wafted into the air. That benzene was invisible. But the Reeves family was very much aware of the clouds of air pollution that poured from the refinery's smokestacks. They could not escape from the smells as they worked behind the counter of their family business, the E&C Luncheonette, frying Philly cheesesteaks and making other meals for their customers. It smelled like, I don't know, I would say farts. <laughs> no saying, but it smelled nasty. But that was a common factor. Like we, that was every day we smelled the smell. Like we got used to the smell. We walked around with the smell that didn't even affect us no more. At one point in the 1970s, Charlie's father, also named Charlie Reeves, became so angry about the air pollution from the plant that he led protests at City Hall and the Sonico headquarters to complain about what he was convinced were toxic emissions. He went to Sonoco to the city. He complained about the air. He asked questions about what was going on. And everybody kept on saying nothing. Sunoco and the city, and I think that was Mayor Rizzo at the time, said it was all right. We would be all right. It was no effect to the community. They had all the safeguards in place. Those assurances of safety from public officials did not ring true. Fires and explosions kept shaking the 1,300-acre industrial complex. In one 1975 accident, vapors from an unloading oil tanker ignited an explosion and firestorm that engulfed two huge petroleum storage tanks, eventually killing eight firefighters. It was not an isolated incident. I remember distinctly it exploding. And I lived on Tash Street. I remember how I shook the houses. Right. I remember, again, Sunoco settled and paid people to fix the houses. So I remember that. I remember growing up. That happened like three times. What made the hazards and air pollution all the more galling, Reeves said, was the fact that few people in the largely African-American neighborhoods next to the refinery were allowed to work there. Yeah, it was, it was all white. Like, it was all white. You had a couple of black people work there. They was making good money, good jobs. Yeah, we never had a good job. We never had opportunities to get jobs. An end to the refinery, which had been churning away on the banks of the Schuylkill River since the 1860s, finally came in 2019. Just after 4 a.m. on June 21st, a fire and explosion at the refinery sent a massive fireball into the sky and rattled windows for miles around. You had to look out the window. I got to look upstairs out the window. You could see the fire coming out. You could see a big mushroom cloud. Mushroom cloud. A few blocks south, neighbor Carmine Zuli woke from his sleep. I heard a massive explosion. It, it was a flash of flame. Uh, it was pretty impressive, um, pretty frightening. 
I didn't look at it for long. It was clear that there was a, a big issue there. City officials issued a shelter-in-place order for local residents. More than 297,000 people live within three miles of the refinery, about 60% of whom are minorities. And nearly half the local residents live below the poverty line. Here's another neighbor, Jody Della Barba. I woke up. Uh, you know, and I didn't know what was going on. And there, I know there was a lot of people upset. They thought everybody was going to die. They thought it was going to, you know, the whole neighborhood was going to get on fire. The refinery complex burned for more than a day. Then the owners of the refinery shut it down permanently on June 26, 2019, putting more than a thousand people out of work. To Charlie Reeves, the most devastating fact was what he learned six months later. NBC News and Greenwire, working with EPA data compiled by the Environmental Integrity Project, revealed on January 26, 2020, that air pollution monitors ringing the refinery had registered benzene at the plant's fence lines at concentrations averaging more than five times federal limits, what EPA calls its action level for benzene, for an entire year through September 30, 2019. That meant that local residents, like the Reeves family, could have been exposed to excessive cancer risks for a long time, including months after the explosion, and potentially months or even years before the fire. My reaction was anger, right? Because everybody knew it, right? So we were suspendable, right? You know what I mean? That's what, when you ask me what's my reaction, anger, right? Because why you do this to us? Why you put a... a low-income housing next to somewhere where you know it's dying, where you know these chemicals in the air. Like, is it, who decided that people's lives were suspendable, right? You know what I mean? So when you ask me that, angry, and angry to the day, because we can't get it back. People that die, we can't get back. Like, we never going to be, nobody acts like they want to talk about that neither. As late as July 1st, 2020, more than a year after the refinery explosion, Benzene levels measured at the fence line of the closed facility were still averaging 37 micrograms per cubic meter, according to the Environmental Integrity Project's review of EPA data. That was more than four times EPA's action level of 9 micrograms per cubic meter. It should be noted, however, that benzene levels at the refinery's fence line were likely higher than the concentrations in homes blocks or miles away. Charlie Reeves suspects that decades of exposure to benzene may have taken a toll on his personal health and on many people in his family and neighborhood. I have cancer. I have prostate cancer. But my wife's mother, her best friends, all our old people died from cancer. My mother died this week. I miss my mother. My mom died from cancer, right? Let's just say 55% of our seniors have died from some type of cancer. All our mothers, like I'm 62, all the, the mothers, most of them all did from cancer, are suffering right now from cancer. Peter DiCarlo is an atmospheric chemist and professor at Johns Hopkins University who studied air pollution from the Philadelphia refinery site over five years. He said it is almost impossible to link any one case of cancer, like Charlie Reeves, to a particular airborne pollutant. But he added that it is very likely that, over generations, the residents of southwest Philadelphia suffered higher rates of cancer and other diseases, and many likely died because of the chronic benzene exposure. The health costs from 
over a century of refining operations at the site are probably incalculable at this point. And it predates the EPA, it predates our even understanding of these types of issues. And so, you know, the integrated cost to communities in that area are astronomical. Part of Charlie Reeves' frustration was his realization that his father was probably right back in the 1970s when he was spending all of his time raising protests about air pollution from the refinery, even though nobody with the city or Sunoco seemed to take him seriously at the time. I watched my father go through the pain and not for no financial gain. I just watched him fight every day for everything. And I was like, he's crazy. Right? People, you fighting the people, you fighting the government. As it turns out, Charlie's father was not at all crazy. The new EPA data, available for the first time in 2019, suggest that the community faced a real risk from benzene. He has every reason to complain and to demand justice for his community. This is Eric Schaefer, executive director of the Environmental Integrity Project and former director of civil enforcement at EPA. Benzene is a well-known carcinogen. It attacks your blood system. Basically, it's a poison that ultimately depresses the number of white blood cells you have, and that compromises your immunity. That makes it harder to ward off all kinds of diseases. It causes lymphoma at high enough levels. And, you know, struggling to figure out exactly what the level is and how much that increases risk, that's, there's always an ongoing scientific debate about, but it's well established that at very low levels, benzene can make a significant contribution to the cancer rate in a community that's nearby. Schaefer said Reeves is right to wonder if the benzene levels are still so high today, more than a year after the refinery closed. What they were like back in the 1970s, when he was a child and he and his friends used to play in the dirt around the plant. As bad as it still is today at the Philadelphia refinery, at least as far as benzene emissions coming from the plant, you can be sure it was significantly worse in the 1970s. That's before we really had a federal Clean Air Act, and that's before there were any real standards that had any meaning at all for toxins like benzene. David Mazur is executive director of Penn Environment, a nonprofit advocacy organization. The Philadelphia zip code 19145 that my family and I live in has one of the highest rates of hospitalization for asthma in the city and one of the highest cancer mortality rates in a city that has the highest cancer rate of any large city in the United States. I'm just one of the nearly 300,000 people living within three miles of this refinery, a population equal to the entire city of Pittsburgh. According to an August 2019 report by the Pennsylvania Department of Health, Philadelphia has the highest incidence of lung and bronchus cancer in the state, averaging 78 per 100,000 people from 2012 to 2016. And Pennsylvania's overall rate of 63 cases per 100,000 people is higher than the overall U.S. rate of 52 per 100,000 people. However, this includes cancers that may have been caused by all kinds of factors, including smoking. Peter DiCarlo, the Johns Hopkins professor, said the problem at the Philadelphia refinery site is not simply the lingering benzene emissions in the air. 
It is also the widespread contamination of the soil under the plant and groundwater beneath southwest Philadelphia. The, the history of this refinery, you know, it started refining fuel before we even had vehicles. And so they were refining predominantly for kerosene for lamps. It was a lighting issue back when it first started refining oil. And so without any kind of environmental regulation, the gasoline fraction that we now use for our vehicles was just dumped on the ground. That ground has seen an awful lot of fuel dumped on it when they were building the sewer system out to the refinery, because this, of course, in 1860, we didn't have a sewer system out that far. Um, there was a layer of hydrocarbons sitting on top of the water table because, again, oil is less dense than the water. And they had this layer of this distillate sitting on top of the water that actually caused several fires and ended up killing people. Um, and so the ground and the area around the refinery has this embedded legacy of environmental pollution that's going to take a very, very long time to go away. According to EPA records and emails obtained by the Environmental Integrity Project through a Freedom of Information Act request, on January 14, 2020, a scientist with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control's Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry expressed alarm to EPA that benzene levels escaping into the community in the weeks after the June 2019 fire were dangerously high and even higher than the readings before the fire. The scientist Laura Werner wrote to EPA, quote, this information leads to a question of whether ongoing benzene emissions from this site are still a concern, in which case it should be a high priority to implement actions to understand what is going on and mitigate these emissions." Unquote. EPA records show that Philadelphia Energy Solutions did investigate benzene emissions from the plant. The company determined that the high benzene levels were coming from leaky benzene storage tanks and a railroad car unloading area, as well as gasoline spilled into the soil and into the Schuylkill River. As a solution, the company said it would repair seals on the tanks, make other fixes, and improve training for its employees. However, the benzene levels monitored at the fence line of the refinery did not decline much over the next year, according to EPA data. When asked about this ongoing problem by the Environmental Integrity Project, an EPA spokesman, David Sternberg, said in an email, quote, It is important to note that benzene concentration levels monitored at the perimeter of refineries do not reflect benzene levels in the community, unquote. Sternberg said the city operates two ambient air monitoring stations in the community less than one mile from the refinery's fence line. For the last three years, Sternberg said, the average benzene data collected from these ambient air monitoring stations in the neighborhoods have been below EPA's action level or health limits for benzene. The parent company of Sonico, called Energy Transfer, said in an email to the Environmental Integrity Project that it is responsible for historic contamination of soil and groundwater at the refinery site but only up until 2012 when they sold the site. A subsidiary of Sunoco called Evergreen, quote, has been actively remediating soil and groundwater at the site since 1990, over 30 years, and will continue to do so for several more years, unquote, said the Sunoco spokesperson. 
However, Sunoco and Energy Transfer claim they have no responsibility for benzene air pollution problems at the site because they say that would be the responsibility of the later owners, Philadelphia Energy Solutions. That company is now in bankruptcy and could not be reached for comment. The Philadelphia site is not alone among refineries nationally in having benzene air pollution problems. According to an Environmental Integrity Project examination of EPA records, the Philadelphia refinery was one of more than a dozen across the country with excessive levels of benzene at the fence line, creating a potential risk for people living nearby. Ben Kunstman, an engineer with the Environmental Integrity Project, studied benzene fence line monitoring data first submitted by refineries across the country to EPA in 2019. So we looked at over 100 facilities, and from those, there are 13 that were above the federal action level. Of those, the highest we were seeing was a Dalek Crot Springs facility in Crot Springs, Louisiana. So that was at 39.5 micrograms per meter cubed, which for reference is about just over 300% greater than the EPA action level. We were also seeing Philadelphia Energy Solutions still above the action level. Their average at the end of the second quarter of 2020 was 37. Um, which is still over 300% of the action level. Most of the 13 refineries are like the one in Philadelphia, surrounded by communities that are disproportionately lower income or minority. These emissions and their potential for raising cancer risks in neighborhoods without much political power suggest that benzene air pollution from refineries is an environmental justice problem. For example, 80% of the 1,600 people who live within a mile of the second biggest benzene source, the Pasadena refining plant east of Houston, are Hispanic, and 56% live below the poverty line. The origin of the 2015 EPA regulations requiring fence line monitoring was a 2012 lawsuit that the Environmental Integrity Project and allies filed against EPA on behalf of the Louisiana Bucket Brigade, Air Alliance Houston, and other local organizations fighting to protect the health of people who live next to industrial sites. Here's Eric Schaefer again. We argued to EPA that they had a legal obligation to deal with this problem, that they couldn't make a determination that people living near refineries were safe based on a lot of shoddy emissions reporting from those same refineries. They had to do a little more homework. That's what led to the fence line monitoring we have now, and it's been eye-opening. When EPA put the fence line monitoring rule together, they estimated that maybe one refinery in the United States would report benzene concentrations as high as nine micrograms a year. What's happened instead? We've had 18 refineries report more than nine micrograms, some of them reporting levels much higher, as you know, the Philadelphia refinery uh, still is after it closed. They're reporting 37 micrograms. We've had facilities report 48, 100 on an annual basis. So, you know, we, it's basically proved we were on the right track. The new benzene monitoring program has some weaknesses. 
For example, EPA imposes no financial penalties on companies for exceeding the benzene thresholds. And the agency gives companies no real deadlines for fixing problems. But Ben Kunstman, the Environmental Integrity Project engineer, said the benzene monitoring program does seem to be having a positive impact. The new rules are nudging a few refineries, for example, the Navajo refinery in Artesia, New Mexico, to take steps to reduce benzene leakage from tanks and pipes. The system does this by requiring refineries with fence line monitor readings that exceed EPA's limit, a so-called action level of 9 micrograms per cubic meter of benzene averaged over a year, to submit action plans to EPA describing how they are going to reduce their emissions. Plus, the public disclosure of the data, available for the first time ever in 2019, also seems to help. So what this data gives us is a clear picture of what the actual concentrations we're seeing at refinery fence lines are. And the value of that is that the public information, which everybody can access on EPA's website, provides each of these communities with an idea of what benzene concentrations could be drifting across the fence line of the facility and really gives the power to citizens and local groups to be able to look at that data, analyze it, and really push back at these facilities when they're seeing concentrations that are far higher than they should be seeing. In South Philadelphia, Charlie Reeves wants to use the data to push back against the former owners of the refinery site. A community group he is part of, the Tasker Morris Neighborhood Association, wants to hold the companies financially responsible for excessive amounts of cancer in the neighborhood. He wants even more monitoring information, and especially historic records of what the refinery company knew and when about the harm it was causing. I'm trying to find the data for 1976. I need the data. I, I, you knew what you was doing back then, and nobody don't got the data. Like every time you ask somebody about data, they'd be like, oh, no, we don't know nothing about Like, Sunoco don't know. Like, the city don't know. We need that data. Before yeah. we could sue anybody, right? Yeah. We need to know what you knew. Right. We need to know how many people died when you built it there. We need to know everything that came out of there. So I, that's the, that's my fight. I need data for even 1980. If you go from 80, yeah. give me 80 to 2000. I need to know what was there. And until I find that, the fight to me will be incomplete. After the refinery closed in June 2019, a Chicago-based company called Hilco Redevelopment Partners purchased the 1,300-acre property out of bankruptcy for $240 million. Hilco submitted a plan to the city in July 2020 that envisions clearing away all of the refinery's towers and tanks and replacing them with a dozen million square foot warehouses and so-called logistics centers that would be used for distribution of a variety of goods. Hilco's plans call for covering up the soil contaminated with benzene with blacktop parking lots and the floors of warehouses. Some local environmentalists have criticized this idea, insisting that the developers need to remove the contaminated soil instead of just covering it up. So the question becomes, is it going to be a cover-up or a cleanup? 
More important than the construction of future businesses on the site, Charlie Reeves argues, Sunoco and other past owners of the land need to pay the community for decades of environmental injustices, including cancer, asthma, and other illnesses caused by benzene and other pollutants. I think we can, we can start making sure that these neighborhoods are given everything they need to grow. Like you need community centers, you need job opportunities, you need conflict resolution things. You need, there's a lot of ways and there's a lot of money you could put into the environments that you messed, I mean, into the communities that you messed up. So you could use some of that money to go back right to your community so we have a chance to grow. And he added, whatever is eventually built on the old refinery site, it should include a memorial to all those who died from the plant's pollution. That way, everyone, even school children visiting the site, like Charlie used to when he was a kid playing on the refinery grounds, will learn from the damage infused into the lungs and lives of Southwest Philadelphia. You need to build a memorial for everybody. You know what I mean? Some type of reminder so it'll never be forgotten that we were suspended when we was used by the government too. This, like Sunoco got the profit, but the government allowed it. This is an American way, all over the country. Houston, Baltimore, you know what I mean? Everywhere I turn around is low-income people who dying and, and nobody's saying anything about it. This concludes the Environmental Integrity Podcast. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the issue, visit the Environmental Integrity Project's website at www.environmentalintegrity.org.